All right, thank you, Andrew. Yeah, and a big welcome to Camp Homewood. Let's give them a round of applause. And I love camp ministry, and a big part of my life is just serving at different camps. And I know that God has actually changed me and equipped me through many different years of service. I even met my wife at a camp. And so there's good things when we serve God, good gifts that are given. And so a big blessing and a big welcome to you guys this morning. If you're here, man, we are so glad that you're with us. And today we're going to continue on with our Grow series. Last week we kicked it off. We talked about what is a disciple. And this morning we're going to be talking about what does it mean to grow? How do we go deeper? How do we take that step in our Christian life in which we are engaging with God in other ways that that we are growing, continuously growing? One of the things that I said last week is that we need to enter into these rhythms that help us love God and others more. And when we grow, we're entering into this rhythm, these habits, in which we are taking one step towards God, and then another step. And we're entering into this rhythm in which we are learning. That's the key word, learning to love God and put ourselves behind So this morning, we're going to continue our series. I want you to envision this tree that is planted by a stream that is being nourished and watered so that it can produce fruit. And just like the tree, we are a disciple, which means we are to plant ourselves by these living streams of water, which is God. That we too are to be nourished and watered so that we can produce fruit. Well, two years ago, I remember sitting in our living room, and Megan and I are crafting this song for our friend. And I have this friend who is always pranking me. He's, he ended up putting a sheep on my lawn because it was my 40th birthday, and he thought it would be funny. And every year at our birthday, he would prank me, and so it was our turn. And so Megan was crafting these lyrics, and these lyrics were kind of poking jabs at him because he was turning 40. And Megan's sitting there, singing, doing her thing, and I'm writing things down. And all of a sudden, in the kitchen, I heard this water flowing. And the first thing that kind of entered into my mind is like, girls, who left the water on? But it was an unusual sound. It didn't sound like a tap. And quickly, I I looked up, and I saw water coming out of our light fixtures. Then I noticed it was also coming out of a light fixture in the hallway. I panicked. (laughs) I ran upstairs, and I noticed that the bathtub was left on, and it was overflowing, and we had about two inches of water all upstairs in our bathroom. Well, that was interesting. (laughs) And to be honest, this is the kind of stuff that happens and you deal with But at the same time, the pandemic just started. And I felt like, oh, it was another thing. I already had been working 70 hours a week at the church trying to get the live stream going. 
I was also trying to finish a master's degree. And, you know, and then yet there's a family that needed my care. And I felt like everything was vying for my attention. And I just couldn't quite get the thing that I needed. The thing that, that would help me grow, that, that, that would help nourish me, that would keep me on track. Time with God. It just seems so impossible. I kind of remember, you know, we moved into an Airbnb because it was so bad they had to renovate our kitchen. And I'm working and I just felt like I'm done. I took the laptop, closed it. I grabbed my running shoes. I put them on. And I made an intentional decision to change something in that moment. I didn't really have space for it, but I decided I'm going to go and exercise and spend time with God. I started walking around Thetis Lake, doing a loop. I started praying. I started asking God for help. I started listening to sermons started just spending time in the quietness, reflecting and listening. And I started to see positive changes. Not the first time, not the second time, but after two weeks of doing this on a regular basis, I experienced both change physically and spiritually because it became part of my rhythms. And today I want to talk to you, how do we implement rhythms that help us love God and others more? Especially when we have no space for it, right? Do we need a checklist? Do we need a plan? Do we need a new app? Do, do we need to simply just read our Bibles and pray? You know, there's a song like that, pray and read your Bibles every day and you grow. And you grow. You know, do we need a special formula that we need to implement? What is it? Why do we struggle so much with our own spiritual growth? And my prayer today is that you find clarity, that, that you can take one step towards maturing in your walk with Jesus. Just one step. And maybe the next day, another step. And maybe when you look back, you've seen, oh, look, I've grown. I've created a new rhythm. And something changed. Well, I want to look at the passage that was read, Rhythms for Growth. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. And this is what Paul says. Starting at verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. And every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Well, Paul is 
talking about running this race. The Christian life is like this race. It's hard. And we need to learn to grow to run this race well. The context is simply this. He's talking about the background of these Edmian games. They're equivalent to the Olympics. These games were held every two years, 10 miles outside the city of Corinth. And these games would draw the best talent from all the Mediterranean. And athletes would compete by running, by broad jumping, by discus throwing, by wrestling, boxing, and doing gymnastics. Actually, I found this very interesting. Winners would not have to pay taxes for a lifetime. (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) They were also exempt from the military. And they received free university tuition for the rest of their life. Not bad prizes. And this was the prizes that they were running for. But Paul is saying that in a race, all runners run. He is saying again that the Christian life is like this race. That we are all running for something. We are all chasing things in life. And you may be a skilled person, but you may actually be running in the wrong direction. You might actually be chasing the wrong thing. And Paul is saying that we need to train and grow as disciples so that we can run this race well. He says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. And we too, as Christians, need to exercise self-control as we run the race of life. If we, need, if we grow as Christians. And these athletes, to grow in strength, must develop their muscles by straining and tearing them. And if you look at me, I'm not a good example of that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I tried. But most of you probably aren't either, just you know. <laughs> I'm looking. But did you know muscles or muscle is built by applying the load of weight? A load of weight that is greater than what your body is actually used to. And as you work out, your body uh, repairs the damage that you cause by working out. Those fibers grow when you rest. And then you work out, tear them, and they rest and they fill in and they get bigger and bigger. But here's the thing about muscle repair. It doesn't happen while you actually lift the weights. Instead, it actually happens while you rest. Isn't that true for spiritual growth? To grow, we need to do the hard work that Jesus is calling us to, but we also need to rest and spend time with him and let him talk with us and shape us and help us do a better job the next time. And as we serve, we may actually get beat up. We may experience pain that comes from serving or pain from, you know, what other people say and do to us. And the majority of the time, it just happens because we live in a fallen world. But to grow, we need to do the hard thing of actually serving. 
of actually taking steps towards Christ. Doing the very thing that we don't want to do. And when we rest, we acknowledge his lordship. It reminds us that he is God and we are not, and he nourishes us. He grows us. He strengthens us. And when we repeat that process, we grow. Well, let's keep reading. And again, Paul says in verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. And the Greek word for self-control means to train your desires. He's saying, train your desires as you run the race. Paul is saying that our bodies are these instruments of God. Our body is to be used and trained for the glory of God. And self-control means to keep one's behavior, emotions, and impulses, and desires under control. Christian self-control is multi-layered. It involves both one's behavior and impulses. It also includes our mind, our emotions, our actions. And to prepare for the race, we need to, again, start exercising our self-control. And what I mean is the people that grow spiritually, they exercise their spiritual muscles on a regular basis. They develop these rhythms. They're continuously trying to, you know, grow. Our spiritual muscles are exercised when we serve Jesus when we don't feel like it. Our spiritual muscles are exercised when we pray and read God's word. Our spiritual muscles are exercised when we are careful with our words. Self-control is exercised when we manage our resources for Jesus. Self-control is exercised when we take care of our health. Self-control is exercised as a character trait when we spend time with God. And self-control, again, needs to be exercised so that it is developed. Our spiritual growth depends on our self-control, or does it? To borrow an illustration... If you've ever water skied or kneeboarded, you understand the partnership between the person driving the boat and you, the person behind the boat. Your job is to hold on and exercise enough self-control so that when you do, you can continue on and pull yourself out of the water. But it's actually the power of the boat that pulls you out of the water. But you must have the right posture behind the boat. You must kind of give the driver the thumbs up when you're ready, and then you prepare for the ride. Our self-control and spiritual transformation is the same. God is the one enabling his people to mature and grow, while we are the ones exercising our self-control. It's this partnership between us and God. We need enough self-control so we can put ourselves in the pathway of God saying, okay, God, I'm trusting you. I'm learning to walk with you. I'm learning to do that dance so that I'm growing. It's this divine human partnership is what our growth entails. It's not all up to us. 
but we play a part. You know, we, we kind of take two extremes. We, we can fall into one or two ditches. You know, we can actually get really good at, you know, being obedient and, you know, following the rules like the Pharisees. We can have all the right habits in place and do all the good things. We can get up, we can pray, we can read our Bible, you know, we can attend church, we can give in the offering. And at the end of the day, we can do this and go, I'm better than everyone else. Look at me. I'm that athlete. I'm at the top of my Christian game. But that's wrong because Jesus is the one who fuels and changes us. It's this divine partnership. It is not up to us. At the same time, we can do another extreme. We can be apathetic and do absolutely nothing. We can kind of coast through life and say, well, Jesus is enough. He's giving me everything that I need. I think the problem is, is that we can confuse what Jesus accomplished on the cross and forget about our responsibility as a Christian. Remember from last week, what is a disciple? A disciple of Jesus is someone who is following Jesus, who is joining him in this amazing adventure of growth and transformation. And James says it well, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. In other words, it matters what we do. It matters what we do with our time and our resources and our relationships. That we have this divine responsibility. If we are joining Christ in this amazing adventure to take our spiritual growth seriously. Because we are running a race. Let's just talk about our routines and habits for a minute. Our routines and habits actually say a lot about us. It says a lot about how we are growing as a Christian or not growing. In the book Habits of the Household, Justin Early says this. This is why habits are so formative. Like a rut, they take us somewhere. They have a destination even when our minds are opposed to it. But habits are not so just neurologically formative Habits are also spiritually formative. Because when our heads go one way, but our habits go another, guess which way the heart follows? The heart always follows the habit. The heart always follows the habit. Isn't that good? In other words, our intentional or unintentional decisions make all the difference in our spiritual growth. That we are all going in some direction. All the decisions that we make in a day are leading us somewhere, whether we like it or not. They may be leading us toward Christ or away from Christ. So he goes on to say, well, if you just kind of create all these habits, isn't that just legalistic? That's a good question. He says this, 
It's the, actually the power of God that changes us, not the power of habits. But caring about how habits are shaping you and your family is not legalistic. It would be legalistic to say that God loves you more because of your habits. But he's saying because of God's love for us, it should change our habits. Because of God's love for us, it should change our decisions, our routines, and our rhythms. And he gives an example. He says, parents, to steward the habits of your family is to steward the heart of your family. In other words, we do have a responsibility to engage, in our, engage God in our own growth. To intentionally make decisions that lead us in the right direction. But oh, it is God who does the changing. But it is us who needs to meet with God on a regular basis. Next, well, what are wise goals for growth? Wise goals for growth. Well, in verse 26, Paul says, So I do not run aimlessly. Again, Paul is saying that I get the decisions in your life shouldn't just be random. That we should know what direction we are going as a disciple of Christ. We should know our destination. And of course, the Bible tells us that our entire purpose of a Christian is to help people know the gospel. That disciples should be making disciples. And we can easily become sidetracked by our concerns. You know, we can lose sight of these things. I do every day. And we can find ourselves chasing the wrong things. But this is why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. He said not to love the world or the things of this world. That every day we need a reminder of who Christ is and why we need to be nourished. Why we need the bread of life. Why we need to reposition every single day and fix our eyes back on Christ. So what are some wise goals? Again, Paul says, don't run aimlessly. Lifeway Research discovered some certain factors at work in the lives of believers who are progressing in their spiritual maturity. Here are some of the characteristics that they said, some goals. They said that there was regular Bible engagement. Obeying God and denying self was part of the goal. Serving God and others, sharing Christ, exercising faith, seeking God, building relationships, and sharing the gospel in an unashamed manner. In other words, there was eight factors, eight goals, in which kind of led people to growing as a disciple of Christ. And to be honest, I would love to unpack each one of these goals. But Paul, again, is saying we need goals. We, we need a direction in which we are running. I want to focus on three broader goals for the sake of time. The first goal is just being committed to the right things. Being committed to the right things. In Acts 2, 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, into the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, into prayer. They devoted themselves. They were committed to the right things. 
Colossians 1.28 says that they were committed to teaching everyone wisdom. That they toiled for this. They worked hard. They struggled. And then Proverbs says, hear and be attentive to the word of God that you may gain insight. In other words, we need to be committed to passing on wisdom to one another. Passing it on to our kids, to our friends, to those that we are in discipleship relationships with. So the question is, is are we committed to the right things? Are we committed to biblical teaching, fellowship, prayer, building relationships with one another? I just want to talk to parents for a moment. I have a huge heart for families. My question is, is we only have this small window of time that we can pass off wisdom to our kids. And families, are we committed to the right things? Are we committed to teaching our kids and bringing them up in the Word of God on a regular basis so that when they leave home, they know what wisdom is? They, they know how to make difficult decisions in the world. And this can be done around the kitchen table or in a moment of success or failure. Or even as you're driving to the next appointment, are you having conversations in which kids can see that you are committed to the right things, in which they, they, you're modeling the Word of God and wisdom? And to be honest, it's more of a drip of instruction that collects over time rather than this fire hose that comes once a year. My dad used to do that, by the way. Son, I got to have a talk. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Rick Warren says, your commitments can develop you or destroy you, but either way, they will define you. Next, our goal should be character. Are we developing character in ourselves and in others? Are we becoming more like Christ? I think good character builds trust and integrity and responsibility in relationships. Character is that inner person. It's being molded in the image of Christ. Are we committed to being more like Christ, especially when no one's looking? Galatians 5, 22 to 23 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, are we developing those characteristics as we make decisions, as we go about life? Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart. In other words, character is the control center that directs your entire person. And when your heart longs for the wrong thing, you become the wrong thing. I think the question that we all need to be asking is, how are we leading ourselves and our families down pathways that are producing godly character? Again, character is being shaped in the image of Christ. One thing that I've noted is that character is always developed 
through suffering. But it's not just the suffering, it's how we respond in suffering. And when we're feeling pain and agony and being stretched and hurt, when we go to God, there's something that happens in the inner self, which we learn to be more like him and let go of all the pain. But oftentimes, I think we're more fostering this comfortable, easy life, even for our kids for others around us is that we almost take away some of the the hardship. And yet the hardship is the very thing that causes us to change, to redirect our paths. Are we becoming people of character? Goal number three is competency. Are we learning how to be better at being a disciple? I love what Colossians 3.23 says. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Whatever you do. So as you pray, are you learning to pray and being, being more competent? As you read the word of God, are, are you going deeper? Are you spending time trying to stretch your knowledge and your competency as you serve, are you giving it your all so that others around you are like, wow, they love Christ. They're sacrificially serving, and I can see it. They're emulating it. Proverbs says, get wisdom, and whatever you do, prize her highly. In other words, we need to work hard at learning and being wise and passing off the how and why we do different things. So again, parents and friends, it means getting better and prizing our role to equip others in the gospel, to lead others. It means we all have a responsibility to prepare our kids, our young adults, for high school, for college, for marriage. We all have a responsibility to get better at equipping our fellow believers so they too can make disciples, so they can build relationships, so that they can pick up the Word of God and learn and pray and make disciples. Paul is telling us if your goal is nothing, you will hit nothing. If you aim at nothing, you will get nothing. But here's the good news. Just like in a race car video game, if you're going in the wrong direction long enough, the game will reset you. It will take you off the sidelines and point you in the right direction. And many of us are kind of stuck on the sidelines with our relationship with God, with our relationships with other people. And, you know, we find it difficult to pray and read God's word. And we need to hit the auto reset button. The good news is, is the gospel is the auto reset button, which is for all of us. That we can use every single day to point us in the right direction. You know, we can turn around... We can get back in the race. We can walk with him. We just need to take one step towards Jesus every day because he loves you, because he's given you the gospel. 
I think so often we can kind of sit there and go, oh, apathetic. I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. Why do it? Why even try? When every day is an opportunity to apply the gospel and start running in the right direction, to start again. When you fail, get up. When your Bible hasn't been opened in a year and a half, open it. When you haven't talked to God in a long while, guess what? You can. You can start today. You can talk to him again. Every day is an opportunity to reset. Well, how can we take these wise steps to go? How can we just take that one step? Well, back to our scripture verse in verse 25, it says, they do it. They run to receive this perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. In other words, Paul is saying these athletes are exercising the self-control to get a prize that won't last. This perishable crown. It's actually this crown that is made out of withered vegetables, actually celery. It's imperishable. It's going to disappear. But Paul is saying, Christians, we are running for a different prize. We are running for a permanent prize. We are running for this relationship with God that will last for eternity, where there will be no more tears, no more pain. And it's not actually the running that it's going to get us there. It's that relationship with God. But it's this permanent home with God that we are going to gain. So why not take wise steps so we can be in the race while running with Jesus rather than not? And I think the first step in how we grow is first assessing our own current state of discipleship. And maybe we just need to kind of take some time with God and say, God, where do I need to grow? Maybe you need to sit on your bed tonight, just you and God, and go, God, where is one area that I need to stretch, that I need to take another step? Ask him. I want to refer back to Malcolm Weber's illustration that we used last week where he talks about this holistic growth of a disciple. If I could get the diagram up. Is that remember that growth happens as we engage in four different directions. And think of the center part as, as a trunk of a tree rooted in Christ. And as the trunk grows, it gets stronger. And a disciple needs to engage with God. As we grow in one direction, we need to engage with God and, and ask the question, God, how do I need to engage with you better? The other direction is how do we engage with others? How do we engage in a way in which we are helping make disciples? What relationship is God calling you to engage with? Then we also need to engage with Scripture, with truth. How is God calling you to engage with Scripture in a way that you are growing or even helping others grow? And maybe what's one new thing God is calling you to do this year? 
what new experience that you need to engage with that you will grow. I think the thing is, is that we all need to make room for growth. And the reality is that our days are jammed with meetings and briefings and Zoom calls and coffees and video games and work and presenting and delivering and driving kids around and doing all the things. For many moms and dads, it's caring for kids and making meals and wiping bums and doing all the things. And the days just fill up. And even our weekends fill up with to-do lists and obligations. But here's the thing. Everyone's days are packed full. Every person I talk to has a full schedule, has so much going on. But I want you to think about the big picture for a moment. Zoom out. Think about your future days and weeks and years. And guess what? They are probably going to be full too, right? In other words, nothing is going to probably change in the next year, five years, maybe even ten years. And the question is, how do we find the space to grow as Christians? Paul is saying that you need to remember we're running in this race. What did Jesus do? He fought for space. In Mark 1.35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left his house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. In other words, in this example, he fought for space to pray. He fought for space to be with God the Father. He fought to relieve the pressures of life. He fought for space to, to, to fulfill his calling. He fought for space to make disciples. He fought to be committed to the right things. And the most fruitful and easiest ways to keep growing is by making space. Space which is included in our rhythms, in our routines. And when we repeat them, they become a habit, a powerful habit that soon bears this dynamic fruit we do this when we carve out little moments in which we regularly meet with God and engage Him each day. And I know that we all have different stories and different calendars and we're in different stages of life. But here's the thing. If you want to grow, you need to fight for space. Some of us need to put it on the calendar. Each morning, before I do anything else, I'm going to be spend time with God, just me and God. Or maybe it's in the afternoon, you need to go on a walk like I did, get away from it all and just be you and God. I don't know. But I also know that we need to power off our devices. That it's probably our devices is the biggest reason that most people don't have time and space to engage with God. I, I'm guilty of it. 
that my busyness and my entertainment obsession kind of pulls me in to the wrong things day after day after day after day. We need to fight for what's wise, for what's best, and for what's life-giving. And I love what Jesus says here. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. Are we making room to grow? About 10 years ago, Megan and I started being more intentional about working on our marriage. And part of that intentionality was just finding a ton of marriage books and reading through them. We actually read them out loud at times so that we could stay engaged because, you know, we would just drift off. One of the things that we read that just really hit us is that couples that prayed together were more likely to stay together. And actually, the stat is, is that while 50% of marriages end in divorce, less than 1% of couples who pray every day end in divorce. So in other words, they went from 50% to 99% for those who were connecting in prayer every day, by entering that simple rhythm into their life. So why is that? Well, just like most marriages, over time, things happen and you can fall out of love. You can fall out of connection. And as you engage, even when you don't feel like it, or maybe you just had a fight, and you, you, you come and you decide you're going to pray together, it changes the whole dynamic. <laughs> There's been many times where Megan and I were just like, I do not want to talk to you right now. Oh, but we've made a decision to pray together. You know, it's kept us humble. It's helped remove the cycle of hurting each other. Like, okay, no, we're going to stop. We're going to pray. It's helped unite us. It's helped heal the other's hurts and pains. But we created this new rhythm. Did you know for the first eight years, we didn't actually miss a night for some reason? The last two years, we've missed a few here and there. But we've kept this habit that we've always run to. Like, okay, if, if what, no matter what happens the day, I know that we are going to pray together at the end of it. The key to it all, no matter who you are, is begin somewhere. Right now, I just want to call the worship team up. I just want to give you a moment to talk to God. And I'm going to put three questions on the screen. This is between you and God because everyone's on a different journey. But here's the question. is: What is God calling you to start? What is God calling you to start? Just one thing even. But also, what do you need to stop so that you could start that thing? What do you need to stop? And thirdly, how can you help someone else grow? Who is God calling you to help grow? Let's just spend a couple of minutes between you and God. Just bow your head and ask God those questions. What do you need to start? What do you need to stop? Who is God calling you to help grow this morning?
God, as we take this time, I pray that you would speak to us right now. That we would be growing people. That we would be intentional, recognizing that you're the one who produces the fruit in our life. But God, that we need to take steps towards you. We need to create rhythms in which we are meeting with you. In which we are following, falling deeper and deeper in love with you. Help us to be wise. God, direct us to what we need to start this morning. Maybe it's as simple as reading your Bible every day. Maybe it's being more intentional with prayer. Maybe it's rubbing shoulders with someone in a way that we're growing together. God, also lead us to what we need to stop. There's just so many distractions, so many things that get in the way, so many things that are pulling us. Recognize that every single person in this room can make at least one change. Help us to see that you're better as we sang this morning. God, help us to not be apathetic, just to walk away and do nothing. Pray that you would be our vision this morning. So just spend one more minute and talk to God, and then we're going to sing.